Our sermon text this morning, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 4. We're almost to the end of the chapter. Uh, Our sermon text is a short one. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And as our our custom is here, uh, is that we stand for the reading of God's Word, not out of respect for the preacher, but out of respect for God whose Word we are about to read. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. It says, uh, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's, let's uh, pray and ask God's blessing upon his word to us even this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, this, for your word. We thank you for giving, us to it, giving it to us as a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Uh, a lamp to our path that lights the way to Christ first and foremost. And we ask in humble reliance upon you that you might give us by your spirit the eyes to see and the ears to hear great things from your word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is a pretty short parable. We're in a section in Mark's Gospel in chapter 4 where he goes through a few, a few, a number of, of parables. Uh, this is the only place in the Gospels, in all the four Gospels, where this particular parable is found. Uh, so Mark is the only one that has uh, this parable of the growth of, of the seed. Uh, if you are familiar with Mark 4, in case you haven't been here throughout our time in it, uh, you might know that, that we're in a section of Mark's gospel where at least three times Mark compares the kingdom to the growth of a seed. We looked at back in the first 20 chapters of Mark, Mark 4, the well-known parable, the parable of the sower. Sometimes it's called the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed. Um, and it's, it's very similar to what we're looking at here. Seed in both these parables is scattered or, or, or cast uh, and then the, the growth of the seed is focused on. And in our text, a little bit different emphasis than the parable of the sower. Uh, in the parable of the sower, what does Jesus focus our attention on? The, the response of the hearers. The, the four different types of soil representing four different kinds of hearts and the ways that different people respond to the preaching and the hearing of the preaching of God's word. Um, here in, in this text... What does Jesus focus on here? He focuses on not the hearers and their response, but the way that the word itself operates in the lives of those who hear, believe, and bear fruit. The Holy Spirit working through the word of God is not something, as this parable will tell us, it's not something that can be outwardly observed uh, or quantified in the moment. You know, as a pastor, uh, I, I, I confess and I'll confess on behalf of fellow pastors, I think that we would all prefer that it wasn't that way. We would love to be able to quantify sermons. Not, I preach this many sermons, that kind of a thing. Um, we, it would be nice if we could see in the moment, if God gave us you know, x-ray vision, spiritual x-ray vision, to see what God's doing. But we don't get that privilege, do we? You know, often, sometimes, my, someone might ask me, uh, you know, family member or whatnot might say, hey, how did the sermon go on Sunday? 
And if I'm honest, I have to say, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I might say, I think it went well. I might say, depending on the comments received afterward, I think it was well received. You know, people seem to, you don't want to say enjoy it, but people seem to get something out of it. But you really don't know, do you? You can preach so, you can preach so you're blue in the face. I won't uh, this morning. Uh, but you, you don't know. You don't know what God is doing in the moment uh, that his word is going out. But his word is most certainly at work. You know, but sometimes in the moment, it often seems even to you as well as to me, it sometimes might seem as if nothing's really happening at all. You might leave after the service today, and you might, have, you might, I hope, Lord willing, think, well, that was a perfectly fine sermon. It, it stuck to the scriptures. But you might not feel any different. You might think, I don't know what God might have done uh, or might be doing in me through it. And yet this parable would teach us God is at work through his word. If you'd like a summary of this parable, in some sense, it's that the word of God will bear fruit in his people. And so we must be patient must not be in a hurry. We must avoid the temptation to rush things. We must trust that as the word of God is preached and read, that as I preach it and also as you read it on your own, that God will most certainly be pleased to accomplish his will in the salvation and sanctification of sinners. And so lives will be changed, not at the drop of a hat, not as fast as you might prefer and I might prefer, But lives will be changed. They will be transformed by the gospel. But in God's way, in God's timing, and according to his perfect wisdom. And here we have to be careful, I think, to take note that with parables we can get into trouble. We can read too much into them. We can read not enough into them. And we have to note here that in this context that Jesus doesn't say everything that can be said about the kingdom of God in each parable. We aren't to read too much into it. If anything, what we should get is a complete picture of the kingdom of God by taking a view of all the parables together and what they say and how they complement each other, especially here in chapter 4. I think Mark chapter 4 especially in the fact that Jesus constantly talks about the planting of seeds in three different parables should grab our attention. It should get your attention. You should say, this, this must have something to do with what went before and with what goes, with goes, what goes afterward. All of them deal with the same subject matter, but they deal with it from a different angle and with a different emphasis. The parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, uh, talks about one thing, the parable of the seed growing. We're looking at this morning in verses 26 to 29 emphasizes something else. The parable of the mustard seed that we're going to look at, Lord willing, next week uh, talks about a different aspect of the growth of seeds. But the emphasis or main point is something different in each one of those parables. You might say that verses 1 through 20, the parable of the sower, it explains in some ways the lack of fruit, the lack of, of result that's evident in so many who hear the word of God and go on in unbelief. That you know, it, it would be tempting to read that parable, the parable of the sower. I know I have read that parable my own self this way, uh, and, and think that means that God's word's not going to bear much fruit. You know, if you're good at math, I'm not, but three out of the four soils bore no fruit. They don't represent believers. And you know, as a preacher, you might say that sounds kind of accurate. Most people that hear the gospel don't seem to believe. But I don't think we're supposed to look at that, that parable and say. We should have low expectations. 
we should think, you know, God will do little bitty things here and there. That's not the point. The point is to explain how different people respond to the same word. You know, the same sun that, that uh, softens one thing, hardens the clay, they say. You know, the same sun has a different effect on different, different things, different soils. Our, our current text, verses 26 to 29, shows that despite all of those obstacles that were in the parable of the soils, or the parable of the, of the, of the seed, the sower, the word is going to bear fruit unto harvest. It's going to bear fruit unto harvest, but it often does so imperceptibly for a long time. It's not an overnight process in many cases. A watch pot, what's the saying? A watch pot never boils. Well, it boils. It just takes forever. You sit there, it's like a kid waiting for Christmas. The the calendar seems to slow to a grinding halt in mid-December. The seed of the word of God is powerful unto salvation, but we must not expect an immediately observable result. And the following passage, which I hope we look look at next week, the parable of the mustard seed, another familiar parable, teaches us that the harvest will be much greater than we expect. It will be much greater than we expect. You know, if you, if you think about the end of the parable of the sower, it makes much the same point. The good soil that bore fruit when the seed was planted in it, um, what, what was the harvest of, of, of a seed? 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's an amazing harvest. So in a sense, Jesus kind of bookends this whole section with something that emphasizes a great harvest by his word. Well, there in that parable of the mustard seed, Jesus compares the gospel to a mustard seed, which he says is the smallest of all seeds on earth, verses 31 to 32. Yet when it's, when it's sown, when it's planted, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The tiniest seed, not literally the smallest seed on earth, but the tiniest of seeds grows into this huge tree or this huge shrub that you never would have guessed by when you planted the seed. The kingdom of God, which is built through the power of the gospel, will grow and it will grow exponentially. If you think about the fact that the church started out with 12 simple uneducated men, uh, we sometimes lose sight of that. The church has grown. This mustard seed has grown dramatically and it's still growing. Nothing humanly explainable about that. Should not have happened. They weren't experts. They weren't even educated. But they had been with Jesus Christ. And he works through them and through his word even now. As Jesus says in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, he says, The harvest is what? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We think it's backwards. We think there's so many missionaries and pastors and teachers that there's so many, there's too many to shake a stick at. But the harvest is what? We think it's small. Our arithmetic is backwards. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's not enough people working for the harvest God has planned. The harvest is plentiful. So what do, what do you and I do? kind of preaching ahead to next week's sermon a little bit. We, we First we pray. What does he say to do? Pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest to, to send out laborers into his harvest field. And we have to pray. When you're, if you're going to pray that way, you have to pray in faith. You have to trust his word. That the harvest really is plentiful. That he's not kidding. 
He's not exaggerating. He's not overstating things. We should also be mindful of the description of the population of heaven that we see in the pages of the book of Revelation. You know, sometimes we, we look around at ourselves, maybe we look at this own, our own church here this morning, which we have a few people traveling, as has been said already. You know, we're pretty small. Uh, there's other churches in town that, that believe the Bible and preach it faithfully. But what percentage of Ramona is in church this morning? Is in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church this morning? I think we have to confess it's pretty small. You're doing something countercultural this morning. We wish that weren't the case. We wish, we wish it was the opposite. That most people were in a Bible-believing church on Sunday mornings. That, that we gave God His day. That we set aside Sundays as God commands us to do in His Word. But most do not. Uh, but look at Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. We shouldn't let our own circumstances trick us into thinking the harvest is small. It says this, After this, John says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. No one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There will be so many people in heaven, so many souls saved, so many sinners saved, we would not be able to number them. And so let's have faith in God's word that that's exactly what he's in the process of doing even now. Second, we don't just pray for more harvesters to be sent, but we should obey his call if and when he sends us out into the harvest field. That could take the form of a simple personal witnessing to a co-worker or a neighbor, and even just inviting them to church. If the church is a place where the Bible is preached and taught, that could take the form of entering the gospel ministry here, at home, or in foreign missions abroad. God still does that. God still calls people even today to all of those things. He may be calling you to one of those things or more than one of those things. Well, there's a few lessons I think that we should learn from the parable before us this morning. Um, you know, one of the things that you might find interesting is Jesus doesn't explain it. He doesn't offer a word of explanation. Whereas the parable of the sower, he gives a full account to the disciples. He tells it to the crowds. They ask him, what, what are you talking about? You know, basically, he pulls them aside and explains the whole thing. He gives in detail. Here's what this means. Here's what that means. Our current parable this morning, he doesn't do that. Verses 26 to 29, it says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It's a pretty short parable. And it's a parable given with no explanation. Uh, but there's a number of important lessons, maybe more than what I'm going to bring out this morning. But I want to look at at least three lessons that you and I should learn from this short parable of Jesus Christ. And the first is that the word of God will bear fruit, and so we must be patient. The word of God will bear fruit, so you and I must be patient. We have, we have to not be in a hurry to quantify its results in our own lives or in the lives of other people. One commentator writes this, he says, For the moment, here in Mark, Jesus is encouraging his disciples in this, as in everything else, not to judge only by what is observable on the surface, any more than they would judge a harvest just after the seed has been sown. 
I, I don't have a green thumb by any stretch. Ask my wife uh, how bad I am at it. Maybe some of you have gardens at home. Maybe some of you are, are involved in farming. You know, when you plant the seeds, um, you, you can't say, well, how many seeds were in the bag? There were 100. Well, I planted 100, so we're going to have... Well, you don't know. You just don't know. You, you might plant the right seed. You might till the soil just right. You might give the right fertilizer to it. You might tend it every day, water it, make sure all the conditions are great. You can't rush it. You, you don't go out the next day and start pulling things up. You know, when you, when you plant flowers, if you see the first little green sprout pop up, um, you might get excited, uh, you know. Uh, but you, what do you, you don't go out and just cut, you know, pull it out and give it to your wife here. Well, it's going to be a sunflower, trust me. You know, well, it would have been, but I, I just couldn't wait. You have to be patient. William Henriksen, another great New Testament commentator, writes this, So it is also with the kingdom, the reign of God. A faithful minister scatters the seed year upon year. He explains, pictures, invites, exhorts, comforts, warns, urges, makes pastoral calls. Nevertheless, to a considerable extent, his efforts seem to have been futile. Then, all of a sudden, the winds of God begin to blow upon the gardens or hearts of his parishioners. The word of God shows its power. Don't give up too soon. In praying, preaching, sharing the gospel, be patient. You know, you and I live in an age dominated by the desire and demand for immediate gratification, don't we? Everything has to be yesterday. Everything has to be quick. We think everything has to be quick and easy. Well, such a mindset will not do when it comes to the work of God in the hearts and lives of sinners and in the building of Christ's church. If you're in a hurry, uh, this isn't the place. If you're in a hurry, the ministry is not your calling or shouldn't be. And so we have to be patient. We have to trust in the power of God and his gospel and in his holy word to work in the lives of sinners, both ourselves and others. We have to be patient. We can't judge the harvest from the appearances at the very beginning, although we're always tempted to do just that, aren't we? Nothing's happened yet. I don't see anything yet, so God must not be at work. We should be careful not to give up on anyone too soon, for that matter. We don't know when or how God may choose to call someone out of darkness and into his marvelous light through the gospel of his Son. That loved one you're praying for, that neighbor, that co-worker, that classmate, you just don't know. You never know what God is going to use, how God is going to get his word into the hearts of someone and when the light will come on. Well, second lesson here is that the word of God will bear fruit, so we have to have faith in God's word. We have to have faith in God's word. In our parable, what does it say in verse 27? The farmer, he what? He sleep, he plays, scatters the seed, but he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. It doesn't mean that the farmer is ignorant. You know, we, we might think, well, we know how it works now. We, we can have time-lapse photography and show it budding and all this stuff. It's not what it's saying. The farmer isn't dumb. Uh, he may not be able to explain how or why it grows, but it does. And he watches it, and he tends it, and he waters it. As Jesus said in John 3, verse 8, the wind, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You don't see it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You just don't know. God does what God does through his word and spirit. The farmer, the farmer can't force the seed to grow, can he? He can't force the seed to grow. He can't rush the process. 
can he? There's no trick to making things grow faster. In verse 28, Jesus says, The earth produces by itself. We get the word automatically from the word that's translated there. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. It produces by itself, is what he says. The farmer can water it, tend it, watch it, but ultimately he has to wait. He can't force the harvest. It'll come in due time. It will be what it will be. The harvest will be what God intends and nothing else. Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11, a well-known passage in Isaiah. It says this. It's kind of another uh, farming sort of analogy. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word never returns void. It does what he sends it forth to do. It never returns empty. God's word always, in every case, accomplishes whatever purpose God intends for it in people's lives. It will always succeed in the thing for which he sends it. So what are, if you want to define success in ministry, a lot of different people have different definitions for that. You preach and teach and share the word of God faithfully. And it will never lack success. It will always succeed in the thing for which he sends it. So you and I in the church today must resist the temptation to shortcuts or forcing the hand of God by human means. You know, people, not just pastors and preachers, all, all people in some sense, uh, you know, we're, we're constantly tempted to kind of help God, right? To kind of help him along to speed things up by our own devices and wisdom. We think we know better than God at times. You know, we're not unlike Abraham and Sarah who grew tired of waiting for God's promise to come to pass in the birth of a son. And so what did they do? Remember the story in the book of Genesis? They tried to help God out by using the, the, the servant girl Hagar and to give him a son through Hagar. Well, how'd that work out? Not well. It still isn't working out well even, even today in many ways. But what did God tell them? Hebrews 11.18 says that he told them, it's through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Who was the son of promise? Ishmael or Isaac? Isaac. And they had to wait a long time, 25 years by my bad math. 25 years, but it came to pass. God waited for them to be at a point where it was humanly impossible, didn't he? And that was half the point. If God had given them the son of the promise, Isaac, when they were younger, what would they have been tempted to think? Well, of course we had a son. Of course we had a son. I mean, look, we're healthy, we're young. When, when Abraham's 100 years old, he wasn't thinking that, was he? He was thinking, that's from God. Only God can do that, can make that happen, give us that, that son. So you and I must be content to do God's work in God's way and not whatever way seems best to us. We have to trust him to work through the means of grace that he has himself appointed, which are the word, the sacraments, and prayer. You know, if we lack the eyes of faith, those things seem awfully weak and, and foolish, don't they? The preaching of the word of God, humanly speaking, is a foolish thing to do. I, I am in a bad occupation, humanly speaking. It, it seems foolish. I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world, but outwardly there's nothing impressive about it. Nothing at all. If we lack the eyes of faith, we won't understand why God does what he does. 
you know, preaching the sacraments and prayer might seem outdated to many people these days. They might seem certainly unimpressive. You know, we, we like flashy things. We like things that are you know, more entertaining, more impressive outwardly. Um, but the word, the sacraments and prayer, that's, those are the things that God himself in his own infinite wisdom has chosen to work through in order to accomplish his will in the salvation of sinners. And so what happens? If you and I are tempted to go another way to help God out, you can't be really sure God's working at all, no matter what the outward numbers and appearances may, may be. And so if you and I really want to see God at work, if that's your goal, if you want to see God himself, the almighty God and Savior of sinners, at work in saving sinners, we have to do things God's way and not our own way. And so we have to sow the seed of the word of God and trust him to accomplish his purposes in his time. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is the power of God, Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God is in the word of God and his spirit working through it. And what's the, the takeaway from that? Paul says he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. The more you and I are convinced that the gospel is the power of God to save sinners, no matter what other people think about it, the more we will be able to say with him that we are not ashamed of the gospel either. Because we know God will work through that. We do not know that God will work through other things. But God works through his word. A third lesson, a final lesson, there could be others, but last one that we'll look at this morning is that because the word of God will bear fruit, and it does that because God alone gives the increase. God alone gives the increase. So you and I must not get caught up in different personalities in ministry. That, that, that is a very common thing in our day, and it always seems to end badly when we get caught up in different personalities, personalities of preachers and teachers and people like that. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, Paul writes this, What then is Apollos? Apollos was another man who taught the word of God in the book of Acts. What is Paul? Paul himself, the apostle Paul. Servants, slaves, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Think about it. Paul was used by God maybe greater, in a greater way than any missionary in the history of humanity. And what does Paul say? Servant through whom you believed. Nothing more. As the Lord assigned to each. They didn't change the outcome. God assigned the outcome. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he knew, uh, who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So at the end of the day, not even Paul or Apollos were anything, he says in verse 7, except servants of God, through whom God was pleased to use in the plantering and watering of his gospel in God's field. They were not responsible for the growth. Only God gives the increase. Only God gives the increase. Not even the apostles themselves, think about this, not even the apostles themselves were responsible for the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. And if that's true of the apostles, the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, the apostle John and others, we even have less reason today to get caught up in cults of personality thinking that a particular pastor or a teacher whom God has used is somehow special or indispensable, that we can't do without them, that we have to have 
that person. That, that, that they're somehow, they're the reason that God was at work. Beware of churches that focus too much on the individual pastors or teachers. Focus on the teaching, not the teachers. That's, that, I believe, is the message of the New Testament and the Old as well. J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, Let us mark this truth also, for it is deeply instructive. It is humbling, no doubt, to ministers and teachers of others. The highest abilities, the most powerful preaching, the most diligent working, cannot command success. God alone can give life. You know, if you, you probably don't have much reason to do this, but if you were to read sometime, pick up any church growth book, any, any uh, book written by the experts of our day, uh, you won't often read something like that. You will read, do things the way I did them, and your church will grow. You know, you'll be successful if you just do things my way, change the music, change this, change that. Anything but the clear and simple preaching of the word of God is usually what you will hear. And they would be wrong. God alone, as Ryle writes, God alone can give life. None of us can command success. Unless we're preaching the word of God plainly. Then God does what God wants to do. Only God can give life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And he does so by his word and by his spirit and really nothing else. So let us sow the word of God in our own hearts and in people's hearts and water it and leave the rest up to him. Let us trust that God's word will bear fruit. Be patient in waiting for that fruit to come to pass. And trust also that God alone is the one that gives the increase and leave the work to him. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We give you praise that uh, though it's, it seems foolish in the, in the eyes of many that you, you have worked from day one through your word. You, you spoke the entire universe into existence by the power of your word. You uphold all things by the word of your power. And it's still by your word, as simple as it seems to us at times today, that you work powerfully in the saving and sanctifying of sinners. You bring the lost home to yourself through your word. You transform lives and families and even nations by your word. And we ask that you would give us grace in our weakness. Help us to trust you. Help us to have faith in your word. And give us eyes to see that we might see you at work. uh, That your word might bear fruit in our lives, in our families' lives, in this church, and throughout the world. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.